Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I sit down with Michael Preisman, founder and CEO of Everlane. Michael has been credited with reinventing retail and e-commerce with his radically transparent direct-to-consumer business model launched more than a decade ago. I wanted to ask him about how the last unprecedented year impacted the business and to what extent it changed the company's oh-so-influential focus. Welcome, Michael. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you on. It's been a while. Hey, you're here. <laughs> it's been about a pandemic, huh? I mean, I mean, how are you feeling? Uh, a good 18 months in, if you had to say the state of your mindset, do you feel as though, I don't know, you're over a hurdle? How do you feel? Such a good one, because I've been uh, talking about this with so many people, and I, uh, a friend said it best three days ago. They said, we've been running a sprint, and it turns out it's a marathon. And I yes. think uh, what I have sort of felt in the past, even just the past two months, is that everyone sort of come to terms with it being a marathon, right? Because we went through this period where first it happened, then last summer you felt like it was a um, moment of clarity at the beginning. Uh, then of course, uh, George Floyd, Black Lives Matter, then the second wave, then January, you're like, okay, now it's good. Then uh, we have waiting for the vaccine and we have another spike then the Delta variant. And now you're just sort of like, okay, that's it. It's just, it is what it is. And we're living with this. Um, and so is, is, I think what we're trying to do with, the, you know, with the team and really understand is that we are riding the wave and we have to be okay with riding the wave and let's just learn to ride the wave because that's what it's going to be up and down and up and down. It's very different than, you know, 2019, which felt so stable compared to where we are today. So would you say this is the new normal? <laughs> It is definitely the new normal. I mean, look, right, Joe, we've got supply chain challenges that are global. You know, Vietnam shuts down, Sri Lanka shuts down. We've got port congestions, and those create just ripple effects everywhere. Uh, we've got labor shortages. And for the most part, people say this is at least two years before we settle back to where it was. And, you know, I don't, I don't tend to overplay these things, but I don't even know that we get to 2019 level stability and calmness. Now demand is back, but in terms yeah. of the craziness, I don't know that we get back to stability for another three to five years, um, but that's okay. We just got to build it into the way we work every day. Right on. I love that you mentioned supply chain. I keep telling my team, we are not talking about this enough. This is a huge issue. And every time I bring it up with a brand founder, they, they let it let it leave, unleash. They tell me all about what they're dealing with. Um, what supply chain issues are you experiencing right now? Is everything just delayed, delayed, delayed? Do you know when you're going to see things? What What are the issues? Yeah, I was on a factory call this morning where things were delayed um, up to uh, 14 weeks. Um, and we were reworking what we can slot in, what how they can readjust their schedule. But everything's delayed and you really start to understand how global the world really is because we've got fabric coming from Italy on a boat or air all the way to Sri Lanka or Vietnam. Then you have labor shortages, you have government shutdowns there. So they're running at call it 80% of capacity at best. Uh, you've got a delays that are happening there. Then they have to find air capacity and boats that weren't ours, that were always available, but not as much so. And by the time they get to the port, it's a question of 
they got to wait at the port for two weeks to be even let in. So there are just so many different factors at play here that uh, you really start to realize how much we took for granted uh, in the way the world works. Yes. Are you already really getting in there in terms of planning for, because of, because of what you're seeing, planning for a holiday or is it like survival mode, get through the next couple of weeks? Oh, no, no, no. We're planning for like holiday of next year now. <laughs> you know, it's like yes. um, capacity through every piece of it. You're trying to plan in a way that um, we've never had to do before. Um, and so uh, I, it's, it's just putting out, it's testing everything and testing everyone. Um, and it's tough. I'm sure you've been in a store before in the past couple of weeks and you're like, hey, where is everything? Um, and so the consumer just feels it as I can't find what I want. Yeah, not only... Where is everything? But where is everyone? I know you don't I have know. a ton of stores, but do you have, um, are you seeing the issues with staffing in stores as well? No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. It's, you know, what's the most challenging is hiring part-time right now. Uh, yeah. Full-time is a little bit easier, uh, but part-time is very, very challenging. And, you know, part of this is, um, I think people are reassessing what, what they want in life and what they want in this world. Part of it is we're still running off a stimulus program. Um, so we'll see what happens in September um, when that comes to um, a uh, comes to a pause or an end, depending on how the government takes it. And and then we'll and then part of it is I think people are just tired. You know, COVID took a lot out of people, and they just want to break this summer. So I think we'll see change significantly in the fall period. But that's my optimistic self. In terms of radical transparency, your pricing—it's all over, of course. Very loud and proud on your on your site. Are you seeing? Um, price increases throughout your supply chain? Are you having to adjust accordingly? You are absolutely correct. Um, it is loud and proud. And we have, uh, we still keep it up there, but we can't even keep it up to date with the changes that are happening because, um, you know, on the most basic level, the price of raw cashmere for next year has gone up from, uh, gone up about 45%. Um, so, oh and God. the price of cashmere represents 70% of the actual garment. Uh, and so we can't, you know, $100 cashmere is coming to an end in 2022 uh, because the cost of cashmere is increasing. So without a doubt, we're seeing it. And we are trying to do right by the customer as much as we can and not push too many price increases, but they are happening here and there. Uh, and honestly, I think Everlane's quality relative to the value the consumer gets is so high that there's probably some willingness and what we've heard from our consumer is as we've moved into more environmental, they're willing to pay more uh, and they want Everlane to win. Uh, and so there's, there's, a desire, there's a desire and openness to that, at least from um, some of our biggest fans. Yeah, well, that, this ties to a question I was dying to ask you because I swear, Michael, I keep quoting you. I didn't even do this interview. I <laughs> attended an event where somebody else was interviewing you and you said something that has that just stuck in my head. And I, I like to quote it or talk about it. You said you either are a brand with values and you're vocal about what those values are, um, you, you know, for what you stand for, your shopper knows for what you stand for, or you're comparing it to Shein, which I don't, we don't have to go too deep on this, but you're a Shein and you, um, I guess you trade on efficiency and speed and nobody knows a th damn thing about you and that's a-okay, but it's like, how would you describe, I guess, what were you saying there? I, I'm so curious what, what I did say, but what I do believe is that you are generally a brand with, with um, values and people care about those values and they wear those values on their sleeves and they're buying into a lifestyle and believe in that. 
uh, and they're associating with brands just like friends um, that have a shared mindset or it ends up being just the lowest cost competitor. Um, and that's yeah. what Shein is. It's just, they are, and they are, their value is we give it to you at the lowest price and we don't care about anything that happens in between that and the price. Um, and yeah. those are kind of where the two worlds sort of have existed at least for some time now and um, in the world of uh, apparel and retail. Yep, for sure. Is that how you remember it? That is how I remember it. Okay, um, you you went off a little bit more on fast fashion, but that's a okay. <laughs> you know, I can do it again. I, you know, it's interesting to me. The Shein one is um, they have obviously blown up, and I think what we're dealing with is I don't know how to reconcile it, but we're dealing with a generation that ha- has not yet um, figured out, and I guess that's true of any young generation has not yet figured out what they stand for, because on one end it's diversity, which is so important. It's in, uh, it's creating equity in a world that is highly inequitable. And then it's climate change. And then at the same time, they can buy from a place like Xi'an or one can buy from a place of Xi'an. And I've never quite understood how you hold both of those value sets in one hand, in each of your hands. Um, and I, I don't know quite how they work out and how you reconcile that. Um, and I think at some point, those things do shake out uh, in the long term. But in the short term, we're definitely seeing this like, what I what people keep saying is the end of fast fashion has never really happened. In fact, we went from fast fashion to ultra fast fashion to now real time fashion, all at the expense of uh, uh, humanity in some sense. Yeah, I feel like Gen Z, all of their values that are hyped across media, it's kind of overblown. I. I feel like we're doing this story time and time again. I did a story once about Brandy Melville and it was like, this goes against everything Gen Z is supposed supposedly stands for. And yet it's the hottest thing among Gen Z. Um, 100%. Yeah. 100%. And yeah, I don't get it. I try to think about these things historically. Uh, and I imagine that during the hippie generation, there were probably some, um, you know, some cognitive dissonance as well. That's probably similar and eventually it shakes out and we'll see. Um, but I, I definitely can't say that I have any support for what, you know, it is what it is, but I don't support what Shein does. I think it's like too cheap. Yes. Is your customer Gen Z? Is your customer, grow, did they find you 10 yeah. years ago and they're growing with you? Who, who, who's shopping your brand now? No, actually our customer has gotten a bit younger over time, uh, which is good. We, you know, we're sort of sticking in that sort of like call it late 20s, early 30s. Um, and then, but it spans the range from there. Um, and we have people who are, you know, 60, if you go into our store, I, my favorite scene was going into one of our stores on Valencia and seeing a um, like a whole family, basically from mother, daughter, and grandmother, all oh, shopping nice. together. And so that's like that's what we hope to achieve. Nice. Tell me about your stores and that store experience. Uh, is it is that changing? Uh, Somebody said that, you know, if your store is your billboard, if you have a line outside of your store, <laughs> that's an even bigger billboard. Like that, that's a sign that you want to be shopping there. Um, I know your stores as being the hot store with the line outside, but <laughs> tell me about your store experience and how that's changed. It's, you know, it, it has always been, the idea has been to create an environment where it feels transparent and it feels easy. Um, and it somewhat replicates the online experience. Um, so we continue to sort of create this world where the fitting rooms are sort of the star of the, the space and it's easy to come in and get service. The other thing we're doing a lot of is just making the returns process really easy because people are buying online, returning in store. Um, and as we think about it, I think when you and I spoke in 2018, 
we haven't quite gotten there on the technology side, but we want to be able to say, hey, I can go online, I can see the inventory as I'm driving, pick it out, go into a store. Uh, it turns out um, it's in stock in these, you know, these styles, so I can go there, try them on, and pick out exactly what I want and be out in you know 15 minutes. Uh, that's the dream. Building all the technology for that takes a little bit longer than I thought. Um, so we're getting there, uh, but that's the focus as we roll out stores. So we just opened up Seattle. We have one more opening up this year, and then we'll we'll target opening up probably um, six next year. We're not doing the major rollout strategy of retail that you're seeing some folks do because we do believe that digital um, is still where most people are going to shop um, and how they want to shop. You know, buy online, return in one of many locations, uh, and so we're just trying to make that whole process seamless and easy. Got it. So by the end of this year, will that be ten stores? I think it's we're we'll be at um, nine at the end of this year, but maybe I'm wrong. Something just launched today. I was looking at it on your site. Um, the new, the next collective. Uh, oh, tell yes. me about this. So you went to, this is a sort of, not a contest. Is it a contest? Um, it's, it's an application process. And, you know, part of this for us is as we've moved and we haven't talked about this, the shift towards the, our environmental focus, which we've really shifted from this notion of the first 10 years were about disrupting the entire industry, doing right where others do wrong. We are hyper-focused now on everything environmental. We can talk more about that. Part of it is how do we engage our community, inspire people to make change the way Everline has, and how do we foster that change? Um, so this was one way, you know, in the past we've done things like Black Friday Fund. Um, the next collective is this idea that we want to promote more people um, creating businesses that do good. Um, or creating change that does good. And so particularly what we're doing is issuing grants for up to five people that are um, either starting businesses or exploring ideas that are basically virgin plastic free um, or innovating around the idea of plastic. Um, so we've got these commitments. One is around plastic, another one is around cotton. Um, we just signed, um, we're doing some work around science-based targets and carbon. So you'll see more and more coming out in pretty big, ways from us in the next six months. Um, but the plastics one we've been known for, and we're trying to promote change on that front. Um, so we hope to get a ton of applications and ultimately help, uh, you know, five people uh, start businesses or whatever they might be doing. Yes. What can you tell me about the shopper that is really the conscious consumer? Has that whole trend that we are reporting about all the time in the last year, people are being more thoughtful about their purchases. Are you seeing that, uh, is that, is that actually happening in your in your store, in your brand? Um, you're seeing more people come to you maybe for the sustainability element. I think that the trend is inevitable. I'm not sure that during COVID it has accelerated. Um, yeah. And I think that's because in COVID, people have really come back to center and, and just been dealing with a lot and focused on their own journey um, and their own needs. Um, and so I have not seen that trend pick up more in the past 18 months, but I think the trend, and I know the trend is inevitably um, there. And in fact, probably in the past 18 months, you've seen more of a focus on um, the inequality in the world. You've seen that happen both through uh, uh, the murder of George Floyd, Black Lives Matter. You've seen it through what feels um, like an inequity between classes that's gotten greater and greater. Um, who fared well during the pandemic, who didn't. And then now you're even dealing with an inequity globally, who has the vaccine and who doesn't, right? Yeah. So um, I think 
inequity and the focus on that, rightfully so, um, has been where, where we've seen more attention um, and more need in the world for a moment in time. On, on the same note, um, in the last year, obviously, you had some, I would say, um, criticism from employees. And I know that you made some recent hires and some changes. Um, and you've also, you know, addressed it head on. How did you how have you responded? What changes have been made in house? How are you ensuring that I would say your employees feel loved? That's a that's a really mushy word, but um, that that everything in house is is in a good place. Yeah, I so I call it um, during that time, uh, we definitely had uh, prior employees that came to the table and said, hey, this wasn't an, an equitable place. I didn't feel uh, like I was treated fairly. And I think what we actually still have on our site and need to update even that language. It says our promise, radical transparency. And when you create a promise like that, it creates such a lofty ambition um, that everybody can interpret in their own way and that we didn't even um, quantify. And so as a result, we created a space where um, people felt like it would solve a lot of challenges that they had. And in fact, we did the opposite in some cases because we didn't have the structure. We were, you know, sort of 150 people without even a chief people officer. Um, and so we didn't live up to um, the experiences that they expected and we didn't live up to what we should have been doing as a brand. And so in that time we've put in place, uh, we brought in the chief people officer, we've put in place a number of programs around um, ensuring pay equity across the board, which we're fortunately doing, promotion equity, uh, instituted um, internal promotion cycles. So it's almost like 25% of our new jobs are filled internally. Uh, really trying to focus on that because that's a way to create equity. Uh, we brought our new people into the board um, from diverse backgrounds, Jonathan Mildenhall. Um, we brought in Sophie on our um, C team um, and continue to build out that leadership. We partner with Black in Fashion Council. Um, and I've actually scored really high there across all their marks. Um, so we're doing a lot. I still think there's a lot to do because the uh, the brand has a lot to live up to on that front. Um, and it is a journey. And I think what we're very, very focused on is building the foundations and not being performative, but always focused on how do we build those long-term um, programs that are consistent and equitable for all people. Um, and yeah. so, you know, Jonathan also sits on our comp committee to ensure uh, compensation, which is the many will say education and compensation are your sort of two avenues for creating equity. Uh, and so having a diverse comp committee is also really critical for them. Not going to solve everything, but these are the things we're doing and thinking about. Right. Was the secret to really getting on was it about moving fast and saying and addressing it head on is was that is that what you would advise a brand in a similar situation i guess i would advise a brand in a similar situation not to get into that situation um and then um, having <laughs> been there and then the other thing yeah. i would say is um yeah it was quite a bit about moving fast and surrounding ourselves with a lot of uh, the right people like jonathan like kate who leads our people team and a number of other individuals so uh, building the right team solves a lot of problems for sure. Well, I'm on your email list, changing the on, a, on another topic, um, and I am just seeing new category expansion left and right. Tell me about what's going on there. How many categories are you launching? I don't know a year, um, and and what's the growth trajectory here? What's the goal maybe for this year? So we launched Swim this year, uh, and we're really excited about that, both because 
of um, the fabric innovation there um, and the we sort of maxed out the recycled nylon that you could get in a swim product. Um, it's an Italian yarn. Everything we talk about often is material innovation. It's an Italian yarn, really high quality. We're trying to use as much recycled material across the board as possible. And so we just launched, we continue to launch denim and you'll see more and more denim coming from us. Our denim line is almost entirely organic, um, got certified um, and almost entirely all made in Cytex, the world's cleanest factory. Um, and long-term we hope to ultimately make it so that you can recycle your denim and we can reuse the same fibers. We do that with cashmere, we do that with wool. Um, the, the category expansion you're gonna see is actually pretty limited from here on out because the focus goes back to that environmental effort. And the more we spend time there, the more we realize just how much work it is to get better and better and better at that environmental effort. Because the real goal is not to get to carbon neutral because we can pay for offsets. It's to get to reducing our actual emissions per garment down as much as possible. So yeah. take, for example, if you're looking at virgin cashmere, which we use, we're trying to move as much to what we uh, have branded as re-cashmere. The carbon footprint of a recycled cashmere sweater versus a virgin cashmere is 97% lower. Um, so we're really trying to push that down. We have completed, although we haven't published the numbers, we've completed the life cycle assessment of our entire brand and all of our products. And so we have really clear goals of what we need to reduce. And then we've partnered with the science-based targets to establish targets for 2025, 2030, track everything, and then get the numbers to be um, better or in accordance with the Paris Climate Accord um, so that we can meet um, the initiatives needed to, well, nowadays, at least stay at a better place than uh, what worse is. Although we know that from the most recent IPCC report, things are quite challenging. Okay. So on the environmental sustainability front, like, what are you most excited about now? Where are you uh, pushing toward innovation, seeing innovation? What are you focused on? I think we have two responsibilities as a brand. The first responsibility of any brand is to, or any company is to lower its own footprint. Um, and in order to do that, you bring in um, a group and you do a full life cycle assessment. Um, and you know the trend nowadays is let's go offset do some carbon buying. And I'm sorry, most of that stuff is bullshit. And this is where I get into like the, the part where I have very strong opinions on. Um, the buying carbon offsets to offset in the future through deep, you know, forest growing and all of that, it's nice, but it's an excuse to just continue to um, reap carbon. So the question one has to ask is how do we reduce our carbon footprint? And that's the goal of any company and responsibility because government is not working fast enough. Why is government not working fast enough? And I'm gonna say some more controversial things here. It's because this doesn't affect the rich as much as it affects those without money. Um, and the government will move when people with money say they want change. And that's why we solved COVID so fast because rich people are dying. Um, and what we're seeing now is like this massive issue where if you live in an area like Seattle and you have low income, you live in a place that's 10 degrees hotter than somebody um, with money. What you're seeing in LA is 20% of shade trees represent 1% of people in all of Los Angeles. That's sad. 
and so we're not making change fast enough. So any company at the end of the day has to reduce its carbon footprint and has to reduce its waste management. Uh, we have not solved those problems, but we're moving fast across all of them. That means uh, on waste management, going to organic cotton. Um, that means on the carbon side, it's using recycled materials everywhere. And the innovation starting to happen when we first came out and said no new plastic in 2018, it was really hard. Now we're at 90%. And we've been able to start to move our bags that cover every product into compostable. We're trying out new technologies that sort of are paper-based but replicate plastic. There's a lot of cool stuff happening on the material innovation. And all of this sits in material innovation and then transport for us. And the next part is transport. How do we transport things more efficiently? How do we reduce that overall flight path? Um, and what makes it challenging right now is how much one has to air to even deliver product. So this whole complex web that we're working on all the time, we're really excited. We're working with the Rodale Industry uh, Institute, sorry, and I visited them. The Rodale Institute pioneered Regen. They created the Regen Organic Certification uh, uh, and did it in their uh, main offices. Um, and so there's a lot of work happening around regen and carbon sequestration. So there's so many things to touch here. So that's phase number one of any company is reduce your own carbon footprint. The other one I would say is the responsibility of brands, which is inspire and engage. Um, and that's what we're trying to do as well, which is really figuring out how do we inspire and engage people. I believe that most people look at these things today and say, I can either be environmental and focused or I can live a good life and I can't do both. And what we're trying to show is that you can hold both of those in your hands and actually live a great life and actually have a low environmental impact. And I think you see it on super high end in one place like a restaurant like Daniel Hume in 11 Madison Park that is now all vegan. Um, but you see it even in places like a Veggie Grill or uh, Beyond or Impossible. And yes, there's issues that people may say about health, but there's no debate. If you look at the greenhouse gas emissions, like 20% is related to beef. It's massive. So I, I think that's the other aspect of a brand is to inspire and engage. So on one end, it's lower your carbon footprint and the other one, it's inspire and engage. And so that is the hard work that we're trying to do every day, which doesn't show up in flashy statements and doesn't show up in necessarily a whole new category. It's the work that you're sort of doing to say, wow, we're the first brand to use 100% recycled cashmere, which we started in ReCashmere about two years ago. Uh, and the carbon footprint of that reduction is 97%. Uh, and so it's continuing to drive that innovation. And it's like, it's like studying for a test. It's so not pleasant and it takes so much time. And the reward is like all the way at the end. And it just takes a lot of time to get there. Um, and that's, yeah. that's what we're doing today. Um, and it's kind of what I'm excited about because it's just means that there's no end to the journey. Yeah. Does it mean also, it means linking with the right partners. You mentioned some of them. Yeah. And does it also mean that, um, is this like, I guess, infiltrated throughout your company where every every department, every player is really, um, thinking, I guess, sustainability environment first, or is there a department that's leading the charge? How, how would you describe how it's kind of taken, how it, how it's prioritized? It's, it's now part of our mission. So it's everywhere. It's everybody, but we do have a, you know, we have a director of, um, you know, I think the word sustainability is a pretty dirty word. I think it's completely been completely greenwashed when you see sort of a contemporary brand saying we have sustainable genes. Like, I'm sorry, what does that mean? Um, Right. And so we try to avoid that word and use more factual statements, organic or um, clean water, 
et cetera. Um, uh, but we do have a director of sustainability. It is part of everybody's mandate. And next year, it'll also be part of all of our, um, it'll be incorporated into some form of um, compensation and bonus programs because we really want to align incentives across the board. Awesome. Carbon offsets. It reads like BS. I'm glad, I'm glad you said I that. I think it's BS. I mean, like, look, the truth is, is that if you want to do real carbon offsets, it's direct air capture. Um, and then the question becomes, if you're doing direct air capture, where do you store the carbon? Um, and there's a ton of different ways to store it and different costs. But if you were to ask scientists, what is the most, the highest efficacy of carbon, it's 150 ton, $150 a ton versus what most people are paying is five to $10. You know, it's, it's just, it is what it is and it's fine. Um, it's better than nothing, yep. but the real solution is reducing your actual carbon footprint. Right on. Next time somebody says it on the glossy podcast, we'll go like this. Oh, bullshit. Yeah, do it, do <laughs> anyway. it, do it. I approve. This message has been approved by uh, Jill and Michael. Bullshit. Right on. Well, you, September, you had some fat funding there. <laughs> um, yes. So, yes. So um, you made some great hires. Are you looking at, what else are you looking to do, I guess, um, in terms of growth? Are you looking at international, new international markets? Are you, um, yeah, what are you eyeing there? Uh, so there's, I guess I think about growth in terms of products. So you're going to see a lot more products from us, a lot of, a lot and um amazing sweaters that are going to come to light this year with really just beautiful yarns that we've um, innovated on a lot that are coming from recycled materials and um, you're going to see continued innovation in the denim side um, and then you're going to see us launching recycling programs for different yarns so that you can actually find places to uh, put those yarn put your cotton t-shirts or cotton sweatshirts and actually have a place to recycle them so that yarn gets a second life so a lot of the innovation is really thinking about that circularity um, and giving second lives to product. When we think about growth, it's about finding new customers, engaging those new customers. Um, and then part of it is channel growth, you know, international as up um, well over 50% versus 2019. So we're seeing a lot of growth um, in the international segment. Uh, and then retail, we're going to continue to expand. So we just opened up U Village and blew through every, sorry, University Villages in Seattle. Um, nice. We blew through every expectations, had lines out the door. So classic Everlane. It was nice. Nice. Where are you putting, I guess, classic advertising dollars? <laughs> Where's the budget going there? You know, it's, uh, I don't know how much you talked about this. The world has changed quite a bit also in the past um, a year and a half because so many people have come into the digital realm. Um, and Facebook and Google are very expensive. So a lot of focus is finding the right partners and um, affiliates and influencers that are huge fans of the brand who want to support it. Um, and then uh, the other part of it is going to be um, brand awareness dollars, finding out where our customer is. So that might be uh, things like YouTube, Netflix, et cetera. Um, that might be places where we're spending money right now um, because that's where the customer is. Yeah. So you'll see, you'll see a large denim campaign coming out in the next month or two um, uh, focused on that. Nice. There are a couple of marketing levers I haven't seen maybe you've done them but they're not i don't know in my face have you done collaborations with some of these influencers are collaborations a thing for everlane we have never done a collaboration of any meaningful sort and we don't have one planned yet but we are thinking about it let's just say that uh, but we have not we have not accelerated that one yet but long term that will be something we focus on i was talking with a fellow founder and i was like do you need do you feel the need to be the face of the brand to be posting your 
yourself on the the Instagram account. They actually used you as an example. And they're like, well, you know who Michael Preisman is, but he's not all over the place. <laughs> like, anyway, do you feel the need to be like out there? I don't. Um, you know, I've gone back and forth on this one. I've even tried to post, but actually my Instagram is now private. I thought about bringing it back. And I just like, it's it's just not, it's not where my energy is. And I think everybody's different in their own way. Um, I'm much better in spoken word. I'm much better one-to-one um, -one or um, speaking on panels. And so as a result, I think we all got to know where we sit. Um, and I don't, you know, I think social media, I have my own beliefs on it, which sort of center on, it's a great place, but I wouldn't say that I see people come out of social media with necessarily a healthier relationship with themselves. Um, and so I don't find that I do either. Um, and so I'm just not spending as much time there. Uh, right and I don't know, it's, it's an interesting one that we'll see how it evolves, but I, I think social media has a lot of benefits. Um, and those benefits are from spreading information and helping things be more transparent. But it also has a lot of challenges because it, it is a place where you can constantly feel like you have to do more. Yeah. Uh, and, and show up more. And that's, you know, to each person, but that's not how I, how I want to um, spend my time right now. Yes. Well, I opened the segment talking about how ahead of the curve you have always been. If you had to look back kind of going into 2020, um, what were you maybe... What do you wish you had had in place um, if you could do it all over again? Or what what did you change during the last 18 months that could maybe safeguard um, for the future? There's two things I would say, just being very, very candid. One is um, that we have better people systems in place. Um, you know, the brand uh, has such a, as I mentioned, lofty ambition, and I don't think we invested enough on the people side. Uh, we were investing more on the marketing side. The other... Um, and, and we talked about that. The other place that I think is, and this is an interesting one for a lot of D2C companies, is what is the role of product and how much do you invest in product? You see a lot of companies sort of launch um, with one product or one idea, um, and then there's not usually an evolution beyond that, right? And the product doesn't innovate more. I believe that the consumer wants innovation, wants newness, and that product is um, key to success. We've had periods where we invested a lot in product. Um, and then we've had periods where we haven't invested a lot in product. And looking back historically, you can tell when those periods were. And we um, are investing um, significantly in product today, um, which will uh, pay the rewards over the next decade. Um, and that will probably never change because without great product, it is, um, what's their, they're buying, a, the, the consumer's buying into a marketing idea uh, yep. without product. And so I, I think I would encourage anyone always to put product at the forefront of what they're doing. Yes. On that note, on direct-to-consumer model, do you feel as though it's <laughs> getting a bad name in terms, it's in terms of, well, I'm seeing a lot of brands. I'm launching direct-to-consumer. I'm selling at Nordstrom. I'm launching direct-to-consumer. We're hooking up with these retail partners. And I'm like, I think that they just want to have that label. But also, yeah, it's getting squishy, I would say. <laughs> um, I think we can call the era of direct-to-consumer basically in some sense over, right? Like, I think you can say you have a direct-to-consumer launch and then you have direct-to-consumer as part of your business. But there are very few brands, you know, we're... we're we're one of them today, 
um, that only operates direct to consumer. Plenty of brands launch wholesale um, as a way to grow the business and reach new customers because the cost of acquisition is tough. And especially if you're a brand that just sells one product, well, how do you create newness? How do you create, generate um, excitement with your customer? I, I like to say, you know, part of what we do, we're in the entertainment business. How do you entertain the customer over and over again um, if you're just selling, you know, one bag or one suitcase? That's challenging. Yeah. Um, and so you have to often start thinking about wholesale to gain new customers. Um, and so it's direct to consumer launch um, as a means to sort of see traction, how much excitement there is with ultimately um, channel expansion across the board. Yeah. Will we ever channel expand? It's tough because of the pricing model, but could we have a small portion be with the right partners? Yeah, it might happen. I think we're a little bit more open to that nowadays than we used to. I could say we could shut the, we'll shut the company down before we go wholesale, but that probably isn't true. So, um, <laughs> you know, we'll try it out. We'll see what happens. And then when you go to wholesale, I'll put that quote in the title. Exactly. <laughs> and you'll be like, why did I talk to her? No, like, but the Harvard business person launching a brand and running it with marketing and not putting any of the um, design focus, again, is another story time and time again. So is that consumer getting hip to it? Does that work to clench one sale and then bada bing, bada boom, they move on? Or I don't know. The customer just totally buys into it. I totally think that's why you've seen uh, mostly the success be single product companies. Uh, yeah. Because, and then eventually, oftentimes those run out. Like, but you've seen that because there's a hot moment, and if the product resonates right, um, you can put a lot of paid dollars behind it. Um, but even that eventually, you know, take the world of mattresses. Uh, you end up with one mattress company that finds the innovation, the opportunity, and then 10 more enter and it becomes a brutal fight. And we've seen that story before. Um, yeah. So you have to figure out what's your real moat um, and competitive moat. And that's where I think going back to investing in product and brand and being able to continue to drive innovation, that's the real moat. Because uh, yeah. otherwise it becomes a paid business on low margin and that's challenging. Uh, so yeah, I think, it, I think you're right that uh, the D2C model and not investing enough in product and not investing enough in um, the design side of it uh, can eventually wear out. Yeah. So what's challenging you now other than supply chain? What's keeping you up? Oh, I mean, supply chain is plenty. Um, supply yeah. chain is definitely keeping us up at night quite a bit. Um, and then I think it's figuring out this world of digital because it's constantly evolving. Um, uh, it is evolving uh, at a rapid pace um, and Facebook's changing the rules, Google's changing the rules, TikTok's changing the rules, the rules are changing every day. Um, and so uh, figuring out how we adapt to that um, and creating a more agile team, it's exciting, but that's the, that's the work we need to do. Yeah. Has it, have you um, launched for, for your e-commerce site? Is it meant more of this, I don't know, virtual styling and expedited shipping or what, what new pressures and changes has this forced? We're investing a lot and will be investing a lot in just sort of like uh, more video and more how to tell stories and help people understand what their product looks like um, on them. Um, and then, yes, of course, expedited shipping. You've got to play with easy returns. Um, you'll see us integrating with um, our friends over at Happy Returns so that you can invest in yeah. person at 5,000 locations around the U.S. Um, that's a big focus for us. It's sort of this constant game of tell a better story and then make the experience easier. 
um, and just being able to innovate on both fronts. Um, so yeah. that's that's the part I'm excited about. When we launched Swim, we had music and all of that. So the site really felt like almost like you were in somebody's you know store, but it was obviously in a digital environment. I mean, Michael, what's up with Swim? <laughs> I keep hearing everyone's launching Swim. It's selling like hotcakes. I mean, people what didn't do you owe buy this Swim for a whole year, and so everybody needed to just you know uh, hot back summer. That's what this yeah. was. So if it was hot back summer, you had to go out and buy a new swimsuit. I love that you said hot back summer. <laughs> it's. I tried to get us to do a whole campaign around hot back summer. Let's just say I didn't win that one. You're not going to end this year at 2019 levels, as you said. Um, if you, you know, wrap up 2021, what will make you feel content? Oh yeah, no, we're 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 doing better than 2019, so it's all that, oh, that part's good. good. Yeah, no, 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 that's um, we're doing great there. Um, so what will make us content is just um, the, you know, I guess it's just really where I sit today is that focus on. I keep coming back to two things: the team and the environmental challenges ahead of us. Everlane is such a huge opportunity to inspire and engage people to make a change in their day to day. Um, and that's what's really uh, got me going. Um, and so you'll see a lot more from that. It's hard to cut through right now uh, because I do think people are focused on Delta and COVID, but there is no doubt that um, we have to make a difference in the way we consume um, and the way we live our lives. Um, and so really, really excited to push all the environmental pieces forward. Yes. Are you going into the office? What's going on there? I am, except for today, I'm in the office uh, four out of five days a week. Yes. Does and actually team? a lot of our team are. Yeah. Yeah. People okay. like it. I think people are getting kind of, I mean, I don't know about you um, and, and your team, but I think there's an aspect of people that just wants to go back and see people again, you know? Take me back. I hear that. I yes, for sure. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Take me back. Get into the office. Get to work. <laughs> yeah. Yes, Michael, this is so enjoyable. Thank you for being here today. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. That's all for this episode. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. If you liked this episode, be sure to share it with someone else you think would. Thanks for listening to the Glossy Podcast.